The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So this morning, we'll continue in our series through the book of Colossians. And if you have been enjoying this book of Colossians, you would know that the entire uh, theme has been Christ alone. We submit to what's supreme in our life. We've seen the preeminence of God throughout the, this book. We've also seen how there are certain challenges that these individuals that are in Colossae enduring through false teaching. And in that, it causes them to not be certain of the very one who has died for them. And as Epaphras is trying to pastor these individuals, they're encountering various different issues. And you heard over the last couple of weeks, you heard Sir Gregory kind of hit core on the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And you heard Terrence also preaching, reaffirm the fact that we're not supposed to be tied to legalistic ties. And you also heard Richard preach about the grace of God and understanding what it means to live as a Christian that is not embodying secular or worldly um, uh, uh, ideologies that, is, that are driving us. And this morning, we see that after Paul has been trying to structure this in an argumentative way, he finally gets to the exhortation. He's exhorting them now because he is reminding them that you are not slaves to sin. You don't have to live in the old way. You don't have to allow yourself to be held in bondage by some of the false things that are being taught to you. You can live with freedom. To them, that freedom, and you have to put your mind in, the, in this ancient uh, church, in this mind of individuals who don't understand what it means to be free in Christ, who don't understand what it means to be liberated by someone else dying for them, and then understanding or even seeing or understanding the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so for them, Paul writing to them, sending this letter to Epaphras, much of this is also a transformative work, but it's still somewhat hard for them to wrap their minds around. Listen to how Paul exhorts them. Listen to what he tells them. Because, you know, saints, I believe that sometimes we don't allow ourselves to see Christ as supreme. Do you know why? Because we don't understand that we're hidden with him. We struggle with the idea that we're hidden, we're hidden with Christ. And I'm going to tell you why, because some of y'all are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. But do you realize that you hide your addiction because you're not secure in Christ? Do you realize you hide in your pridefulness because you're not secure in Christ? Do you, do you recognize that you hide in the addiction of your, your lusts and you hide in the addiction of sin? You hide in the addiction of shame. You hide in the addiction. You hide in your sexuality. You hide in your obsession with materialism. You hide in the evil passions of your heart. You hide in all of these different things areas in your life. The big reason why, I don't even know if it's much of a submission issue if, if, if it is for Christians who understand that if you can hide in Christ, you will be secure in all things. If, if you can hide in Christ, then you can be secure in all things. But a part of this is understanding who you are. If you don't understand that you're children of the living God, then yes, the pleasures, you're going to hide in them. The girlfriend, you're going to hide in her. The boyfriend, you're going to hide in him. 
The career, you're going to hide in that. But when you are driven by the fact that God has called you out of the muck and the mire and he has called you to live as a, ch- as a child of God, then you'll hide and feel secure in that some of that still doesn't make sense to y'all. But see, if you connected to our original parents where that original sin and the rebellion of humanity where Adam, who has been told who he is in the Lord, has also fallen due to the fact that he has done the very thing God told him not to do. And so what does he do? When you go to Genesis 3, you see the brother hiding himself from the very God that he had peace and harmony with. And as he's hiding in this place, you also see that he is making it known that he's naked. God says, where are you as God? Well, I could just see God walking in the cool of the garden. My mind, as I think about the anthropomorphism of Jesus, I'm th- I mean, God, I'm just, I said, he's just walking. You know, he's just strolling through the, through the garden, right? He's just strolling through the garden. And, and, and Adam, he has his hiding somewhere or whatever the case may be. But in my mind, he says, where are you? And then he says, who told you you were naked? Beloved, if I were to say anything to you this morning, I want you to understand that the fact that you cannot, that you don't understand the fact that you're hidden with Christ means that you don't know how to be secure from sin. What I mean by that is that the more that you don't understand who told you you that you were sinful, who told you that you were broken, who told you that you needed redemption, who told you that you needed to be rescued, who told you. Y'all see what I'm saying? God has told us the redemptive plan for our life. And if you don't understand it, then you're going to continue to hide in the shadow of your sin where God is trying to call you into the light of liberation. So here's what I want you to understand. Is that you don't have to you don't have to hide anymore. That being being hidden in Christ, here's what this is the big idea. This is what I want you to take away. Being hidden with Christ means we don't have to hide from him. Being hidden with Christ means we don't have to hide with him. And there's two ways that I want to articulate this 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 morning. Is that first of all, one way is, is to live out the out of the resurrection. Live out of the resurrection. And the second one is, is to be killing sin, is to be killing sin. When we live out of the resurrection, beloved, we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to live out of the resurrection? What does it mean that we need to have this as the very forefront of our minds? It means that the resurrection helps us reorient our mind to gospel priorities, and it also tells us that's the very power source. So many times, Our power source comes out of our own control. If we can control it, then we feel like we have power. If we can dictate it, then we feel like we have power. But the very notion in which you die with Christ, giving up everything that you own, you no longer have power. You have no control. And you actually allow yourself to be subjugated to the rule and the reign of his authority. But how do we how do we see this playing out? We see this playing out and what it does for us is it gives us a heavenly mind. It gives us a mind, a a heavenly heart and it gives us a heavenly identity. 
What does it mean to live out the resurrection? It means to have a heavenly mind. It means to have a heavenly heart. And it means to have a heavenly identity that allows us to persevere. We see this when he is talking to them in verse 1. If then you will raise with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand, power, seated at the right hand of God. The people of Colossae are reminded that there is a surgical brain work, a surgical heart work, and a total makeover that has allowed them not to be subjugated to the religious systems of their society, but liberated for them. So Paul is exhorting the people of God by referring to the preceding verses where he says, if therefore you have been raised in verse one, he's pointing back to the fact in chapter two, 12, you were raised. And then he says, for you died, which points back to the fact that you were buried with him in chapter two, verse 12. And then he says, and you died. I mean, then he says, you, yes, you died with Christ, which he's pointing back. I'm sorry. He also pointing back you were buried, pointing back to chapter 2, verse 20. But what does he think back to? He thinks back to the struggles that they have. When you go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, you see that he says to them, it makes more sense. So to see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elements, the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And you see in chapter 2, 16, therefore, you let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival uh, or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then you see in chapter 2 and verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of ancient uh, angels uh, going on into detail about visions puffed up without reason by the, his sensual sensuous mind. Paul is, has set them up in this entire argument to be exhorted by the fact that you are raised with Christ and that you are to seek his kingdom first. His admonition for them is to encourage them it says that you have a new belief system. Remember what I said in the, in the first chapter. I said that belief systems oftentimes corrupt people. Belief systems oftentimes corrupt people. And if you don't believe it, you can look at a lot of us don't pay attention to black Hebrew Israelites, but they corrupt people. A lot of us don't pay attention to those that are saying that are agnostic and, and atheistic. They corrupt people. Are they corrupt people? We're all corrupt people. But the idea in which we understand that every notion that comes against the very identity of who we are, it begins to try to lie to us of who God has made us to be. This is why in Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. For many of us, we cannot say that this is at the core of our lives, that a kingdom agenda is the very thing that we seek. In fact, we believe that the gospel that, it, that, we, we, that we, we have believed in a gospel that is so personalized, that it is so created player on 2K, that it is so uh, uh, container store, try to make my own closet. You personalize it in such a way that it doesn't have the effects in which it should in a kingdom way. We do not see the classroom and being utilized for the kingdom. So you're sitting in class and you don't see your kingdom motivation. You don't see your kingdom motivation in the marketplace. You don't consider how God is giving you a kingdom motivation in the medicine. You don't see how God is giving you a kingdom motivation when you're cashing people out at the grocery store. You may not see how God is giving you a kingdom motivation when you're handing the food through the drive through line. You may
may not see how God is giving you a kingdom motivation when you don't have two nickels to rub together to make 10 cents. You may not see how God is giving you a kingdom motivation when he or she has broken your heart and has called you to live for him and not live for a relationship. You don't see God's kingdom innovation or kingdom agenda in your life when you're in the work, when you're in the warehouse or when you're on the construction site or when you're with your friends. God has given us a kingdom motivation, not so that we can make money for ourselves, not so that we can have our own pleasures, but so that we can live for him. And let me, let me ask this for clarity. Let me ask this for clarity. For some of us, do we ask and seek God when we make transitions in life? Do we ask for directional clarity when we're making kingdom or do we even make kingdom moves? Are our moves solely around the next purpose or destiny or is it driven by personal success and financial gain see here's a this is not a this is I, i don't want millennials and others who are trying to work up this ladder to think that just because you're successful that means you're kingdom driven just because you you're not as broke as you used to be that is an indicator that god is with you you can be not kingdom modern and still be bro- and still be broke I know some broke saints out here I know people who are homeless and still live for Jesus poverty is not an indicator of whether you're a believer or not and this is where we have to be understand what it means that we do we strive for the for what is right beloved we cannot strive for our own lives why because at the end of the day where are we going we're going to be with the lord we're already with him but there's a idea in which god is had us has us on a journey for us to proclaim him not so that we can get our own best life now not so that we can, and I may step on some of y'all favorite preacher toes, but, but I'm going to just go there for a minute. But, but not so you can open your next business. The, the kingdom agenda is not so you can have the next 12 steps in order for you to be the best, to be the best that you can be. Because it's a false narrative that we continue to portray in the gospel that it is only, success only looks one way. And this idea of striving then, this idea of striving to be kingdom-minded, to be exhorted, it is the very word that is the very word that's seeking. Seek that which is above. It's the same word as striving. And I want you to think about it. Y'all remember the cell phones that was just about as big as a Bible? <laughs> cell phone about as big as a Bible, and then you got the antenna on it, right? You got to pull the antenna out. And you walk it around. And then when you get to a dead spot, what you do? You hold it up and you're trying to find, you're trying to seek <laughs> where the next signal is. You, 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 and then as soon as you get up, are you there? Are you there? <laughs> We're pointing cell phones in the directions where our heart should be pointing. 
We need to understand that this striving is consistently seeking and making sure that we have a clearer connection with Jesus, not just on our cell phone reception, but that we can hear from God when we're in bad situations, where we can hear from God when we are not in the best situation, where we can hear from God when we don't know how to think through or process through situations, whether it's dysfunction in family, whether it's the next career, whether it's who you're living with, whether it's how you're planning your next move you need to understand that what God is saying is I don't want you to just point your cell phone to the air I want your heart to be pointed to my tower to the reception where I can speak clearer to your heart where you won't be distracted and interrupted by anything and you won't be enticed by the pleasures of your heart and that itching ear that you have won't try to hear a new revelation but it will hear the same gospel that transformed us from the day that we didn't know him to the day that we will know him him until the day that we will see him in heaven. One of the things is we should not be coming to church trying to look for a new word. We should not be coming to church looking to to essentially consume, but we should be coming to this place where we are giving our hearts, we are offering ourselves because the only fresh thing that needs to happen is that your mind needs to be renewed so that you can see a clearer king. Can I tell you something? We don't hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're tuning into the wrong frequency, beloved. And that's what, that's what the podcast that we listen to, that's what the next YouTube preacher, that's the, the next Instagram population, whatever it is, I want you to understand and be able to rightly divide God's word so that you can hear who you're listening to. And this, is, this applies to the Colossians. Don't think that I'm talking out of context. Because you got to think about all of what they, what they were consumed with and how they had to combat that with the gospel. This is definitely on par. And I think for us today, the thing is, is that we hide ourselves in all these different things and all of my best life now and all of trying to be the best mom. I'm talking to some of mamas in here too, some of y'all who, who know and you struggle with being a stay-at-home mom. You know you have a hard time because you're trying to find your purpose. And you know, dads, that you are the same way. You are having a difficult time trying to be the best father and read the next Grace Parenting book or read the next, next blog on TGC or read the next blog on whatever you read. Can I tell you, if you don't read his word, he can't lead you. I'm talking to the other person that's sitting there in the classroom with their kids because we have so many teachers, right? (laughs) In the classroom with your kids and the very thing is, you're like, I don't know if I can do this but these kids are crazy. (laughs) But the only thing that can give you gospel perspective and move you in the right direction is the very thing that keeps you balanced and the very thing that leads you in life and it is God's word, beloved. Hide yourself in his word. And this is the depiction that we have when we look at this in verses 3 through 4. I think that the most beautiful things are hidden. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the most beautiful things are hidden. And that is, the, that's you. 
Believe it or not, it is, it is you that if you just hide in the glory of God that will appear one day and all of the complexity in which it, it, it goes beyond our, our, our comprehension, that we can just understand that if we're united with him, that he gives us clear vision. It was, it was Marla Runlin uh, who, uh, who was an Olympian. She won and she was qualified for Sydney, Australia. And she said this, that... My vision is normal, but everyone else has really good vision. My vision is normal, and everyone else has very good vision. She says this because she was legally blind for 22 years, and she qualified for the Olympics. And they said, how can you run and you're legally blind? She says, everything seems like a, 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 a fuzz. And so I just follow the colorful blobs in my, in my view. But the issue is, is when I'm when I'm ahead of the pack. Because I can't see anything anymore, but all I know is there's a finish line. See, here's what I believe, beloved. I believe that when we are running this race, when we are in the same situation that she is in, we may not be able to see things clear. Paul has already talked about being hidden with Christ for the fact that you may not need to see the things to come or you may essentially don't under, it's not that you don't see the you won't see the things to come because there's an element in which fullness will happen at the appearance of my glory. But if you just keep running even though that you can't see it, you know that there is an end in sight. And the reward is far greater than a medal around your neck. The reward that he talks about is the same reward that's in Phil when he's talking to the Philippian church in Philippians 3 and 14, where he says, I press toward the goal, the goal of the prize of the high upward call of God and Christ Jesus. And he says, let those who are get this say mature. Look to the other person, tap to him, say mature. Say, look to the other person, say mature. Then slap yourself and say mature. You understand the maturation that happens in your life doesn't come simply because of how much you know. It's who you know. And your striving and the goal that you press to is not according to your own self-righteousness. It's not in, as we would see, your maturation is not how many people you leave to Christ, lead to Christ, how many times you wake up, how many Bible studies you attend, how many times you go in a small group, how many times you sit. That is not maturity in Christ. Oftentimes we can think about that that's the maturity in Christ. But what Christ is saying, what makes you mature, as we see, is that if you seek him, you strive with him. We got to keep moving because I'm looking at the time. To be killing sin or sin will kill you is what John Owen says. To be killing sin or sin will kill you. If we don't understand how to kill sin, it's going to kill us. So how do we do it? How do we kill the presence and the power and the penalty of sin? We have to recognize that it's already defeated. Richard already said it. He, he must have been in my notes. Richard was in my notes. He was all in my Kool-Aid. But death has lost its sting, beloved. You don't have to live in fear of it. You don't have to live as if the next breathing moment you're fearful of sin was going to do to your life. You don't have to be afraid to open up your laptop because you're free from the pornography. You don't have to be afraid to sit here and make sure that you're in certain situations because God has freed you from it. Believe it, beloved. Believe it. 
But here's, here's the thing. I, I think it's vitally important that not only do you believe it, that you understand that all of us are sinners. That sin is actually real. And that there is a deceiving, lying enemy that wants to kill you. And if you do not, I'm going to shout out Dr. Greg Perry. He was my, my, uh, my Greek professor, but he did, looking at him just reminded me of this. I remember sitting in class and he said, some of our churches do not preach about how the devil is trying to deceive us in such a way. And so we walk around being deceived, even though that we hear the gospel preached. We can be deceived. He probably don't remember being saying that. But we have to recognize that we have an enemy. And if that enemy, with his presence, his power, and the penalty that he brings, if he continuously sends us the Instagram, like, I, this is what I think our sin, we treat our sin, we treat it like Instagram. We treat it like Facebook. We treat it like Twitter. We put a different image up, and as if we can hide behind that and nobody will see it. How many times, married couples, y'all put on Instagram, that you, on, on Instagram Live that you're fighting? No, you, you put in the, those nice, cozy pictures that Emily Holmes, shout out to Emily Holmes and whoever, whoever else. You put the nice, cozy pictures that everything is going right in your life. How many of us are highlighting all of the trauma and the, and the turmoil in our life on our social media page? We may try to argue with somebody, but see, the point is, if we don't understand our own sin and we continue to hide behind the mask of things that we can put up, we will continue to be deceived, and we won't understand what it means to be liberated or actively killing sin. So this is why he says in verse 5, put it to death. Literally, kill it. Mortify it. Cut it off. Put it to death. What are you putting to death? Therefore, reflecting to the preceding verses, you've already died, and you died with me. Put to death all of these earthly things. What are these earthly things? Sexual immorality. I'm going to pause just right there for a minute because I think in a heightened sexual uh, society, we oftentimes struggle with sexuality of who we are, and we struggle with being in sexual relationships. I know for a fact that people go to church just so they can be booed up. If we're looking to go to church to be booed up, we're coming to the we're coming to church for the wrong reasons. Why? Because just when he says sexual immorality, look what he says. He's talking about impurity. Look what he says. He's also talking about passions, evil desires, and covetousness. But what does he say that it is? It's idolatry. We can think that, oh, just because I'm looking to go to a church where I can find my next husband or my next wife or I can go to the church and pray on those that are in the church and use them uh, for my own sexual pleasure. Or let me say this. Some of us criticize so many people with the sexual harassment allegations or we sit here and we, down, we look down on those that are in sex trafficking, but you're looking at Pornhub. We cannot sit here and say to ourselves as individuals that it's okay to do one thing and hide in my sin in another thing. We have to be actively killing sin because it's going to kill us. Why do I go to church? Why do I come here to worship? Why do I want to be around the body of Christ? Because I need to be around them. 
I need to be in a place where sin is not trying to kill me. And this is not a behavior modification, beloved. This is not just stop doing something. This is a real life or death situation where you have to be able to make sure that the way that you're living is Christ exalting and not self exalting. So we hide in our indulgence too, right? We think to ourselves that if we simply make sure that we do a couple things right, that we aren't holding these idols in our hearts. But idolatry is so deceptive that it allows us to think to ourselves that pleasures are the very thing that will fulfill us. That pleasure and the desire is the very thing that will fulfill us. I can guarantee some of y'all can get out of here and make $250,000 a year coming from making $20,000 a year and it won't fulfill you. I can guarantee some of y'all high schoolers that are sitting here, you can go to college and you can go to the NFL, but I guarantee you'll still struggle with smoking weed. Beloved, actively killing sin means that you are essentially seeking God. It's that simple. Y'all thought I was going to say something else. Nope, because Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where he says, he gives us a helpful exploitation. Let every, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who, beloved? Looking to who, beloved? You say it like you believe it. Look into Jesus, who is the author, who's the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy that has been set before us, before him, endured the cross. What is he despising? Shame. What is he despising? I think guilt. What is he despising? Everything that tells you that you're no longer a child of God, that you are a slave to sin. But he's despising all of it. And what does he do? He sits with all power in his hands because as he's despising, he said, I gave my life life so that you may have life and that that if you know that you have life you live with a powerful life you don't have to live subjugated to sin be killing it and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm gonna leave you with this that sin is so deceptive he says right there in verse 9a we didn't read that do not lie to one another I'm stealing someone next week Do not lie to one another. I want you to think about the aspect in which he's dealt with the wrath of God, judgment happening for sin. Judgment will happen. God's wrath will come for sin. Do not worry about that. Your job is to be killing sin. And then what does he deal with? He says, you used to walk this way. In all of these things, anger, malice, wrath, Slander and obscene talk and do not lie to one another. I believe as a body of believers, sometimes what happens for us and us lying to one another is that we don't be truthful with each other. That we are all dealing with issues in our heart and we have been hurt and we have and we we need to forgive and we need to apologize. We we need to do these things. But the way that we lie to one another saying that everything is okay. If you got an issue with a brother and sister, the Bible helps us to know how to deal with those issues. But here it is. Once again, what am I tying it back to? Because we got to wrap it up. Is I remember when my mother would uh, remind me of who I am. 
that I'm Michael Charles Davis. And also, not only did she remind me who I am, if I went out, people reminded me who I was. In fact, if I was caught doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, she'd say, aren't you Robbie's son? And I knew exactly what that meant. Because the fact of the matter is, I didn't want my mother to find out what I was trying to hide. And so what I would do out there, I didn't want my mother to know what I was doing in the house. I was trying to live a dual life. But see, beloved, even before God transformed my heart, my mother was already beating me. In Jesus, not in Jesus' name, I'm sorry. It eventually became in Jesus' name. But she wasn't beating me physically. She was reminding me of who I am. And this is not how you act as my son. My mother wasn't perfect, nor was my pops perfect. But I do know that one that is perfect. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is a good, good father who continuously reminds us of who we are in him. Aren't you glad you belong to a good father? Aren't you glad you belong to a father who reminds you that you don't have to find your identity in your sexuality. You don't have to find your identity in simply making sure that you fulfill your pleasures of your heart. You don't have to find your identity in your wife being right or your husband being right. You don't have to find your identity in how sane your kids are. You don't have to find your identity in making sure that you got everything all right and all together all the time. You don't have to find your identity in how much change you got in your pocket. You don't have to find your identity in making that business. You don't have to find that identity in trying to make your own purpose-driven life. You don't have to find your identity in trying to create your own this destiny. But you don't have to find your identity in the things that consistently are earthly. What you find your identity in is the fact that you're seeking Christ, that you're sitting there raised with him. You're no longer dead, but then the promise is that once he appears, you would appear. The epiphany of Jesus Christ will be the very thing that sets us on our feet and allows us as individuals to recognize that there is something deeper in life than sitting here trying to fulfill my own. Aren't you glad that you know Jesus? This table reminds us of that, beloved. That what he did for you as you partake of this bread, as you, recess, you process down this line, you do it with joy. You sing with strength. You sing with vigor. And you do it knowing that he is the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always comfort you no matter what the situation is. Because he is your God and you are his people. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for your wonderful mercy and grace. The one that you continuously bestow upon us. And God, I pray that you help us to be reminded of your love. You help us to live in light of the resurrection. You help us to always be killing sin. You help us, Jesus, to be children who care deeply, who care deeply about you and living for you and proclaiming you in all our ways. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, beloved. Let us continue to worship God by uh, uh, responding with the gifts of God.